depths of my heart of all the places over these many years that God has given me the privilege to speak and go preach. Uh, there's something really special about Theresa, and I really appreciate you people uh, from the depths of my heart. And I do commend you for paying off that debt. Uh, my goodness, um, when a church is debt-free, uh, it really relieves a lot of pressure with the past and everybody else. And I really commend you for that. That's, that's a really a great thing that you've allowed God to, to accomplish through you. Um, I'm going to just share a few thoughts these times together and pray God will use it. Uh, I was sitting there this morning thinking about when God first called me to preach. I was a young GI in Korea, and uh, that's where I got saved. That's where uh, the Lord became real to me. I'd heard about him all my life. I just didn't know him. And um, when I came back to the States, I didn't have a clue where you started. I didn't even know another preacher, and I didn't know, uh, how do you get into this? And um, the first, one of the first times that I ever had a chance to preach on a Sunday morning was here at, at Teresa. Johnny Wesley was the pastor, and he invited me to preach. And I had uh, worked up, I had eight sermons, and uh, that Sunday morning I preached all eight in 12 minutes. And I, uh, I couldn't even think of anything else to say. And, um, but it's been a long journey, and you've had such a tremendous part in that, and, and I really thank you so, so much. And only God knows how special your pastor is. My goodness. Herbert, you're a dear friend. Um, I thank God for, for Herbert Brown. When this guy drops dead, and I hope it's no time soon, not only Theresa's going to lose a pastor, this whole town's going to lose a pastor. And uh, what a man of God he is. And I just thank God for Herbert and his family. And, and again, greetings from Lynchburg. Come see me sometimes. Come one at a time. And we'll, uh, we'll have a good time together. Let's pray before we read the Word of God. Father, we ask you now to do what I simply can't. I pray you'll bind all satanic, demonic, and psychic power. May the Spirit of God use your word to speak to our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Beginning at verse 1, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethlehem, uh, were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Know you not that the Lord will take away your master from your head today? And he said, Yes, I know it. Hold you your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Know you not that the Lord will take away your master from your head today? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray you here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood 
to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided here and there, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I be taken away from you. And Elisha said, I pray you, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, Do you have asked a hard thing? Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so unto you. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah, Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof, and he saw him no more. He took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces, and he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted here and there, and Elijah went over. No turning back. God help us to recapture a fresh vision in our heart that we want to leave here, whatever that time is, being faithful to the Lord. I pray God will help me to cross the finish line running, to just be faithful to Him and seek to do His will. Now, if you know the story of Elisha in the Scriptures, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, the Word of God tells about a time when Elisha was out plowing the ground with 12 yoke of oxen. They evidently came from a very wealthy family because uh, to have 12 yoke of oxen is, is kind of a symbolic way of letting us know that he was from a very wealthy background. But the Word of God says that day when he was there plowing with those 12 yoke of oxen, Elijah the prophet walked by. Now Elijah knew that his time was running short. He knew that God had already told him that he was going to take him to heaven. And Elisha was going to be his replacement. And so that day when Elijah walks by and he sees Elisha plowing with a yoke of oxen, the scripture says that Elijah took his mantle and cast it upon him. Now, that maybe doesn't mean much to us, but in that day Elisha knew well that it was the call of God on his life. And the Word of God says from 1 Kings chapter 19 to 2 Kings chapter 2, there are some silent years there. You ever felt like God forgot your address? Have you ever felt like as a Christian that God maybe wasn't answering your prayers? Herbert told these little killed children just a while ago that God would answer their prayers. How true. How true. In fact, I don't think you can do much better than getting a bunch of kids to pray for you. Uh, Jesus cares about children. He told us to become childlike, not childish. A lot of times we're childish, aren't we? But he wants us to be childlike. And childlike, that childlike trust. And God does answer prayers. But the fact is, there are times in our life when we don't understand those silent years, do we? 
We don't see what God is doing, but we have to choose to trust God's heart when we can't see God's hand. And that's true many times, isn't it? I have a lot of precious memories from this church, and I know Teresa, like all other churches, you go through hard times and difficult seasons. In fact, your pastor mentioned that. Back years ago, maybe some things that you go through as a church, and all of us can look back as individuals as well as a body, and, and we see those times. Where is God? Where is God? Elisha, I believe, wondered maybe at times, well, you call me God, where are you? Why aren't you opening doors? Why aren't you doing this or doing that? You ever felt that way? Sometimes it's like that, isn't it? Uh, we don't understand. We don't understand what God is doing. Don't you love a, a, a good attitude? Uh, you know, I've been pastor so long, I don't know if I was born first or preached first. I, I don't know. It's been a long time. But I love a, a people that, have, that keep a good attitude in the storm. I really do. Uh, there's an old lady close to home. She recently had a 103-year uh, birthday. And they, the people there at the home where she's at, they, they made a big deal about it, and they invited all the community to come. And, and this old lady, she's just one of those people you can't help but love her. And uh, one of the rep local reporters heard about the party, and he decided to go by, and he was just going to wish her happy birthday and maybe do a, a quick interview. And he went into the home that day, and all the people gathered around, and he was talking with her and asking about her family and her background and her life of 103 years. And, uh, and then he asked her a question. I won't ever forget her answer. He asked her, he said, do you have any kids? And she said, not yet. <laughs> and I love that. Brother, 103 years old, she's still in the game. That's good. Uh, God help us to have a good attitude in the midst of it, whatever time we're going through in our life. If God leaves breath in his brother, he's got something he wants to use us for. And uh, God help us to keep trusting him. And Elisha went through those times. And yet there came a day, the scripture says, when after he had been called of God, that was a cost. The Bible says in that scripture, in fact you can read it in 1 Kings 19, the Word of God says that as soon as Elijah threw his mantle upon him, he realized this is the call of God. The Word of God says that he killed the oxen and burned the plow. You know why? He was done farming. Nothing wrong with farming. That's what God wants you to do. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it's just as holy and righteous to uh, sell food, sell clothes, as it is to preach sermons. Is that what God wants you to do? And, in, and Elisha had grown being a farmer and plowing the ground. He made his living as a farmer, but God called him to do his work. And the Bible says he was willing to pay the price, and he killed the oxen and burned the plow, and he had a new purpose in life to do what God wanted him to do. And he was committed. The Scripture says he stuck to it. He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He didn't throw in the towel. He stuck with it. And God help us to do the same. I'll never forget a story back from 1973. Uh, Brigadier General Dick Abel, he was given a command to go back to Vietnam. Now, you remember that? Those of you who can remember you, the winding down of the war, and the, the Vietnam War was coming to an end and had come to an end, and uh, Brigadier General Dick Abel was sent back to Vietnam to escort home Colonel Jeff O'Leary. 
And some of you maybe have read the story or heard his testimony. It's a tremendous testimony. And uh, when General Abel went over there, he had a chance to look at the, it was about like a, a human cage where Jeff O'Leary, Colonel O'Leary, had spent eight years of his life. Can you imagine eight years in a, in a cage? Eight years being treated like an animal? Eight years in a bug-infested, hot place, starving him to death? And for eight years he survived. When they were on the airplane coming home after the General Abel had looked over the circumstances that he had existed in for those eight years, he asked Colonel O'Leary, he said, Jeff, how in the world did you survive that? How did you make it, man? He said, I don't understand how anybody, me just looking at what you, where you live, I don't understand how anybody could survive that. This is what Colonel O'Leary told him. He said, General, you might not believe this. He said, but I'm going to tell you the truth. He said, if it hadn't been for Jesus, I'd be dead. And he said that one day they were taking those guys that were in that particular POW camp and they were taking them to another camp. They were always changing them, trying to move them from place to place so people couldn't find out where they were or the GI could set them free and and they were always taking them somewhere else. And, and yet he said that one day when he was being taken from one cage to another cage, they were going up a mountainside and he was so tired and about starved to death, he didn't have the strength he felt like to take another step. And Colonel O'Leary said that, he said, General, he said, this actually happened. He said, as I was walking up the side of that mountain, I looked up and I saw a, a I saw a vision of Jesus. He said, and Jesus spoke to me and said, Jeff, you're going to make it. Just like I walked up the side of a mountain with a cross on my back and I made it, you're going to make it. And Jeff O'Leary said he knew right then, one day I will die, but it's not going to be in Vietnam. And he said that he did survive and Jesus met his deeds. Why? Because he had committed his life to him. And Elisha had committed his life to follow the Lord and was willing to pay the price, the commitment that God wanted him to make. And there are some of you who have been on the trail a long time. I know. I've seen you. And you've been an influence in my life. You've encouraged me so many times. But some of you have grown weary. Some of you are here this morning and you've grown weary with the journey. And God understands. The Bible says in Psalm 103, He remembers that we are but dust. Thank God that's in the Scriptures. But I want you to notice four things from this passage that I pray God will just engrave in your mind as you go your way today. Number one is determination. Did you notice three times here in this passage in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah sounded like he was trying to get rid of Elijah. You ever felt like God's trying to get rid of you? Don't you quit following me, boy. Elijah told him three times, I'm going from here to there, here to there, here to there. You go away and leave me alone. And each time Elisha said, I will not leave you. He was willing to pay the price. What was going on? God was testing his determination. He was trying to find out if he was willing to pay the price. And there are many times when you as a child of God, you hurt, don't you? 
I know. We do hurt. Three years ago, I had open heart surgery. I had a quadruple bypass. And I'll be honest with you, I visited a lot of heart patients in the hospital, and it never dawned on me what they were going through. I've never been so weak in my life. Uh, when I got home after heart surgery, for me to get up and walk to the back room was like climbing Mount Everest. I just thought, I'll never make this. And I wondered during those times, what is God doing? What, what is he up to here? I didn't know. But God has a reason, doesn't he? He has a reason when he allows us to be tested. And the scripture says he will test us. God doesn't tempt us, but he tests us. And often the devil takes a test and turns it into a temptation to try to get us discouraged and weary where we throw in the towel and turn our back on God. And that's the worst decision you'll ever make. Elisha was determined. He, was, he said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm asking you today, Teresa. I want you to make up your mind today. Whatever time God gives you, whatever time you have left to live your life, that by the grace of God, I'm not turning back, I'm not quitting. I'm going to run the race. Paul said, I have finished the course. And God help us to finish. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, the scripture says he made the statement, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. Thank God for that. He said, it's finished. And God wants us to finish the course. God, give each of you the determination you need today. You might be going through different trials. Of, it could be many things. It could be your health. It could be family problems. It might be problems with the kids. It could be a lot of things. Maybe it's financial problems. You're going through different trials in your life. Be it, let it be known. Recapture in your mind the fact is, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not turn my back on you. Don't you turn yours on his. God help us to be determined to keep on going on. But I want you to notice another thing that's very special here, the identification. I want you to see something here. The Word of God says in verse 8 that Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, smote the waters. Now watch this. The waters were divided here and there, so they too, look at this, they too went over on dry ground. Now, now where, what, what water is this? It's the Jordan. What is special about the Jordan River? The Jordan River is what separates the wilderness from the promised land. They were crossing over to the promised land, what we know is the abundant life. The promised land doesn't represent heaven. It represents the life that Jesus Christ wants us to have in this life with all of the trials and the struggles of life he wants us to know the joy of the Lord. And the Word of God says they went over together. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, and I'm not going to read it because of time, but the Word of God says that when we come to Jesus Christ, now watch this, when we come to Jesus Christ, God looks at us as if we have already died in Jesus in other words, when he died on the cross and took our judgment upon himself, the judgment that you and I deserve. But when he died in our place, and I come to the place where I trust him, I came to that place as a young GI. I saw my need. I'd heard about Jesus all my life. It's kind of like I know about George Washington, but I never knew the old boy. 
The same thing was about Jesus. I'd heard about him all my life. And yet, he became my Lord. He got my attention through some terrible circumstances. And I, I listened to him and I called out to him. And that's when he came into my life. Now watch this. He comes into me, but the Bible says also that when we come to Christ and we're saved, we are baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ. So therefore, when holy God looks upon a Christian, he sees someone that has already paid the penalty of sin, which is death. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus took that death on the cross. He died as my substitute. I wasn't qualified to die for my sins. I deserve to die. And he's the only sinless one. Isn't that good? To know that he loved us so much, he was willing to die a death that we couldn't die to pay for our sins that we could have life. And the Bible says they went over together. The scripture says in Romans 8, verse 2, The spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Thank God for that. You see, God wants to do something in us and through us that we can't do ourselves in the energies of the flesh. Amen. We can't do it. It's an impossibility. And yet, when we identify with Him, just suppose somebody went out today, pray to God this doesn't happen, but just say somebody went out today, they robbed a, a store or robbed a bank, shot two or three people, now they're running from the law. The police is after them. The guy is going down the road trying to get away from the law. All of a sudden he has a heart attack and dies. The car runs over to the side into the field. The police go to the car. What do they do with the dead body? Well, take him to jail. No. Why? Because the ultimate price has been paid. He's dead. Take him to the cemetery. You see, when we die in Jesus... There is no judgment for our sins. That'll put a shout in you, folk. You need to remember what he did for you. That's the identification in Christ. And then notice the Bible says, after they were on the promised land, they're in the promised land. This represents victory. Elijah asks Elisha, what do you want me to do? Now look what he says. He says, a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Why did he ask for a double portion? Because the Word of God says that when we come to Jesus Christ, we are baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ, and also the Spirit of God comes in us to live. The Scripture says in Romans that if I have not the Spirit of God, I am none of His. So if you're a child of God, the Spirit of the Holy God lives inside of you. But why do you say a double portion? Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 that there are basically two kinds of Christians. There's a carnal Christian, and is the description that he gives in the Bible, you can't hardly tell the difference between a carnal Christian and a lost person. And then there's a spirit-filled Christian. The Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 5, Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The tense of that verb is in the perfect tense. It means be you continually filled. It's not a one-time thing. It's something that we need to do daily in our life, praying that God will fill us. How do you get filled with the Spirit? You can't fill a bucket that's already full. 
We have to be willing to empty ourselves and allow the Spirit of God to come in us. Now watch this, people. Stay with me. Why are so many Baptists afraid of being filled with the Spirit? You know why? Because the devil has used it to create an image in the minds of many people that if you become a Spirit-filled Christian, he's going to make you act like an idiot. That's a lie. There is nothing in the Scriptures in Galatians chapter 5 that talks about the fullness of God's Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. It talks about things such as love, joy, peace, goodness, self-control, meekness, these things. What is he talking about? He's talking about the life of Jesus being produced in us and released through us. It's not talking in some kind of a mumbo-jumbo. It's not acting like an idiot. It's allowing the life of Jesus to be reproduced through us. I don't know of anything that the churches of today need more than learning to love one another again. Having a burden to reach lost people with the gospel of Christ. And I'm asking you, Teresa, this morning, have you lost your joy? Have you lost your burden? Have you lost your willingness to let God use you? So many of you. I could go touch people here this morning. Touch your shoulder. This person, this man, this woman made a difference in my life. You're not dead. Let God continue to use you as a church. Let him work through us. You see, there's identification. There's determination. There is supplication, and then watch it, there's appropriation. Look what happens. The Word of God says that Elisha, after he took the mantle that fell from Elijah, he took the mantle, he smote the waters just like Elijah, and he asked the question, where is the God of Elijah? The question today is, where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the men and the women, young people, that are willing to make themselves available to God? Lord, I want to empty myself. I want you to fill me afresh. Work in me. Release through me your spirit in my home, on the job, in the community, in the church, that people from the outside world might see Jesus in my life. My time's up and I'm going to quit. I'm not done. I'm just going to quit. <coughs> I do this every Sunday morning at Living Word. We also have an 830 service. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. pastor's going to be here. If the Spirit of God is not speaking to you, it won't do you any good to walk down a church aisle. But if he is speaking to you, there's nothing more important than doing what he says. Do you know Jesus as your Lord? I'm not asking you a good person or a church member. That's a good thing. But are you saved? Have you been born again by trusting Christ and his finished work on the cross and his resurrection? Do you know Jesus? Secondly, 
You might be here as a Christian and you feel like you've been forgotten. You feel like you've been left out in a wilderness. Be it known. He has a purpose for the test. He's still working. Maybe you need a church home. I don't know how you'd find a better one. But as we sing, as the Spirit of God would speak, would you listen to Him? Pastor, would you come?